that uh, pass those buckets together. Well, we are in the last week of our Ephesians series, and um, I have really enjoyed studying the book of Ephesians. I hope that y'all have enjoyed walking through um, the uh, book of Ephesians. We have not done a total verse-by-verse study, but we have covered, by large, the bulk of it, and we are going to wrap up with um, the sixth chapter today, okay? So we're just going to go ahead and jump in there right now, and uh, it tells us we've had had this scripture, we've had, not the scripture, this idea that we've launched with all week, I mean all month. We've said, as we study the letter to the Ephesians, we see God's heart towards humanity revealed to us all the way through the book of ephesians we see god's heart being revealed to us and as ephesians is coming to a close then we are given some final reminders that help us to keep the right perspective see perspective is ultimately what is what we're going to frame our world by that's how we're going to judge everything that's how we're going to make our decisions remember we said months and months ago that kind of a seminal verse A pivotal thing is what we see back in Deuteronomy that uh, God tells us that he has set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. And now we are in this place of choosing and we choose based on our perspective. Our perspective on life is what we base our choices on. And so Paul is wrapping this up and helping us, giving us these little reminders that help us to keep the right perspective. Of course, we're in the middle of a football season here, and and anybody have some college football fans? Any of y'all like some college football? Yeah. Uh, any, any hardcore Dallas Cowboy fans? Wow, you people are awesome. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, y'all are some long-suffering, wonderful, full of vision and hope. I'm telling you, what we're going to do is we're going to have all the hardcore Cowboy fans pray for all of us. That we can be that godly and forgiving and tolerant. Wow. But uh, it, it is, it's football season, and um, I, I, I'm not a USC fan, but there's an awesome quote from back when John uh, McCoy was uh, piloting, when he was coaching that uh, USC team. And they faced Notre Dame, and they had a horrible loss. I mean, they just got slaughtered 51 to nothing. I mean, just got hammered. USC just it's just not in their tradition to get shut down like that. And they all march back into the locker room and they're they're there and just all these players just have this dejected spirit about them and they're just so down and upset and the coach rallies them and says, "You know what, men? We've got to keep this loss in perspective. We've got to keep this in the right perspective because you know what? There are 800 million Chinese people who don't even know this game was ever played." And so, you know, sometimes you just have to to have the right perspective on things because our perspective will determine on how we deal with our life. You know, that even in even in our giftings and everything, uh, Abraham Maslow uh, had this quote that said that if the only tool you have is a hammer, you will see every problem as a nail. You know, our, wherever we have in our hands, whatever is our perspective in life, is totally going to determine our view on life. And so Paul is kind of giving us a little reset button on some things. 
And the first one he does, we kind of flows out of the end of Ephesians chapter 5. Remember that there were no, uh, you know, Paul was not writing little numbers by each one of his sentences in all of this. We broke it up into chapters and all this. This was one continuous letter, and we broke it up so we could find pieces of it easily. But there's this kind of, he finishes up in the end of 6, his, the thoughts that were at the end of chapter 5 and all of these together bring this thought this reminder this perspective setter of that we should handle all relationships with God in mind we need to handle all relationships all relationships from the perspective of God and how it affects God this was uh, <clears throat> we have five children and so consequently our, our there's a lot of dynamic that happens, everybody has their own will, everybody has their own things they want to do, but as a family, we have to work to make things happen. And uh, last year, uh, my youngest daughter, Lyndon, we call her Lulu, and uh, she was part of um, the cheer club last year, and she was doing that. Well, its schedule was just a little bit awkward uh, for, for my schedule and just the way the cheer practice went. And there were a couple of times I had to pick her up early. Cheer practice wasn't done. A few times I got there a little late and the cheer sponsors were, had to wait on me. And things were just a little awkward. And after this had gone on a few times, Lulu gets in the car after I picked her up about 10 minutes early because I had to get somewhere and I couldn't be there at the regular time. And uh, she says, uh, says, you know, Daddy, or, you know, is, is it okay that I'm in cheer club, is, is this okay? And I was like, well, yeah, Lulu, you know, you want to be a part of cheer club? And, and she made this incredible, incredible statement because she said, if it is better for the family, then I'll quit. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this little eight-year-old girl is understanding that she has to keep things in this perspective of how it's affecting others, of how it plays out in others lives see whenever we become <clears throat> born again that's that process where this new life comes in we are now belong to the family of god and just like she asked her daddy how this was affecting the overall family in all of our relationships we ought to be considering what our daddy thinks of how it's being impacted you know what, I, I've told you all this before, but man, I can remember where it happened. I was turning off of Knickerbocker. I was taking a right right there to get on the loop, headed, headed toward, as if you're headed towards the lake, getting on the loop, the wharf is right there. And I'm turning on the little, the little yield place, and this person just, just whips out in front of me, and then it's going slow, and I just got all irritated. And all of a sudden, I'm, I catch myself calling this person a moron. And so, and I'm just yelling at this person. Of course, in the privacy of my own vehicle, they don't hear it. And, man, God just pricks my heart and said, that's my child. And I'm like, oh, you're right. You're right. Even in that place, I needed to handle my relationship with God in mind, with that perspective of God in mind. And then when we begin to look at these next few scriptures, we have to remember that all of this comes back to this place of how, of, from looking at our relationships with God and perspective. Of course, last week we dealt with, with wives and, and husbands, and we dealt with those different places. And here at the very beginning of Ephesians, we see in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
for it's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This isn't just a rule here. There's something that goes with it. This is something that's deeper. Do you know what? The core of, our, of all of our, our civilization comes back to how things operate within the family. And if you don't have any honor within the natural process of the family, I'm not talking about tyrannical, you know, you will respect me. I'm not talking about that kind of tyranny and then the parent, little kids shuddering at the parents. No, but I'm talking about standard respect. And I'm telling you, if that goes away, our society begins to, to dissolve from the inside out. I mean, this is just so incredibly vital. And it's so important that God connected it with a promise that it would be go well with us and that our life would be long and good. God wants this so importantly. And then he comes in and he doesn't just stop there. God begins and it brings it through Paul in the very next the very next verse. Fathers. This includes mothers as well. Do not exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger, another passage reads. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. See, here we have this perspective is that I have to parent my children, my perspective on God. My kids have to honor me with their perspective on God. This, this is so incredibly vital. See, I have to make sure that I don't crush their little spirits. I don't push them to an ungodly place of anger. I, I can't do that. I can't just bend them and break them with my will. I have to guide them and instruct them in the training of the Lord. Those relationships, mine with my children, theirs with me, has to be handled with God and mind see paul hits it again in colossians 3 fathers don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged then we see another place of everyday relationships society is built on families and working relationships any society is built on those two things the family as a core and then working relationships and then here we get into this deal of working relationships. And we're going to open up. He opens up with a hot button word in our, from our perspective. And he says the word, Slaves, obey your earthly master with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now I tell you what, years and years and years ago, this verse was abused by some people who did not understand the perspective of it. Paul is by no means endorsing the horrendous societal wretchedness that slavery was and in so many parts of the world still is today. For us to joke and say that it is gone in the world, it is not. It is not. There are places in the world that slavery still very much exists but what the what the truth of the matter is is that here is that no matter where you are in life that you can operate in this place as a believer bringing honor to God in every relationship even the most strained and ugly one even at the most strained and ugly place 
Now, one of the things we can get in our today's side, since none of us are slaves, is we understand that here is an employer-employee relationship. And you and I, as employees, we need to make sure that we honor those that we are working for with respect so that in just as we would with Christ. See, we have to frame every relationship in our life from this place of looking at it from God's perspective. Verse 6 says, Obey them not only to win favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. As we go in, we should not be working just to win their favor on the job whenever they're looking at us. We ought to, they ought to be able to turn their back on us and us work just as hard and do just as good of a job. I tell you what, the one who lived this out so beautifully in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. And he, <clears throat> according to all practical purpose, should have never been a slave. But over and over again, no matter what place he was put in, they eventually, he was so good at this, of doing the right thing when they weren't looking, that they finally quit looking. It said that two different times that they would not even check on what was under his authority. He was so good at doing the right thing when nobody was looking that finally the authorities just quit looking. I'm not going to look. It's right. He's done the right thing. I'm telling you, we ought to have that spirit about us. We ought to just do the right thing because it's the right thing and we're working as unto Christ. What we do on Monday through Friday on our jobs ought to reflect what Christ has done in our hearts. It just has to. It has to. It has to get to that place. Verse 7 says, Serve wholeheartedly as you would if you were serving the Lord and not men. Because you know, what? What is it we know? That the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. Whether he is slave or free, God is our rewarder. And then again, he brings into this dynamic, this relationship, and addresses those in authority. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. That you do the right thing. If you're a boss, if you're in a position of authority, whether you're an employer because you own your own business or you have worked your ranks up and you have some people who have to, have to follow your command, now I'm telling you, this is for you. To not do it, lord it over them, but to, <clears throat> to, uh, to bring them in and treat them, understanding that you're going to have to stand before God as well. Back to the issue of the whole thing that Paul was not endorsing slavery. He addresses in 1 Corinthians 7.21. Were you slaves when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Go get your freedom. He was, Paul was pro-freedom all the way. But we do not ever have this place that, okay, well, when this finally unfolds in my life, well, then I'm going to be able to... Respond the right way. I'm going to be able to be the right kind of employer when my boss quits being a jerk. I'm an employee when my boss quits being a jerk. I'm going to be able to be the right kind of employer whenever my employees finally deal with me in some respect. No, 
there is this thing that ought to guide us from within. It doesn't matter what's going on around. It's this perspective, this holy, wonderful God perspective that takes place and settles that thing in. The next thing we see is that we need to keep a heavenly view of the happenings of life. We have to keep a heavenly view of it. So many times we can get, we're in the middle. We're still, we're still walking around on this planet and we can get so engrossed in this planet that we forget we're not of this world and we've got the inside track because we kind of know what's happening here. Ephesians chapter 6.10, it says, Finally, finally, I've covered all this stuff. Take all of that. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. See, God has called us to be strong in him. The idea of the weak, weenie Christian is just shot. It just should not be. There is the, should be this place of strength. Now, that does not mean this mean, aggressive, totalitarian, this, this beast. It's what should be this thing of just this strength in Christ that we can do the right thing no matter what. We don't have to do it out of oppression. We can do it because of what is alive on the inside of us. And then he gives us these hints on how to keep this thing on. First, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Guess what, folks? You do have an enemy. You do have an enemy. There, is, there are schemes of the devil. He hates you. If you're a believer, he hates you. He's already lost you, and that ticks him off. So now he just wants to make life miserable for you. And you have to understand that there are, there are schemes. And we have to understand when things are going on. And you know what he typically uses? Typically the, what gets provoked is those that are closest to us. You know what? The person that I got that God checked my heart with, even if they would have heard that I yelled moron at them, more than likely it would have irritated them or something, but it's not going to wound them forever. They don't care. They don't know me. You know, but somebody close to them, all of a sudden that changes everything. And we have to understand when all of a sudden there begins to be tension in these close relationships of ours that there's so many times something else going on for, we re for our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the, it's the people that we think we're fighting with. That's not our real struggle. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are these unseen. There is, just as sure as God and his legions of angels are true, there is an enemy. And his cohorts that are real as well. And we have authority there. And we have to remember that authority. And walk in that authority. And not get wound up in all of the mess of this world. We have to walk in a place that we walk above it. It says, therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything <coughs> to stand. Stand firm then. I tell you what, you want to have a good teaching on that, you go back and get what my wife taught back in the summer in July and catch it online. She had a good teaching on what it means to stand firm there. Yeah, but you stand firm there. And you put on a few things. First off, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Put on truth. 
That's the first thing. First thing you got to cinch on is truth. That's why we stay rooted to the Word of God. That's why we come back to that over and over again. <clears throat> I lost my place here. Then the breastplate of righteousness is in place. Where's our righteousness from? It's not from us. It's from Christ. And it covers all of our vitals. Guess what? When we walk in there, when we remember that we are made righteous because of what he did, not because of what we did, we're covered. The enemy doesn't have any place at getting at that. We're, it's all done. It's all covered. We're solid. We have to remember that. We have to put that on. If we let the enemy come in and start messing with that, that's why Paul is so adamant that there is no condemnation. We are righteous in Christ. Don't you dare think otherwise. And then, with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Everywhere we go, there ought to be the good news of peace with us. If we forget and we leave that at home, then we're wide open. But if I'm telling you, we everywhere we go, that doesn't mean you have to be the crazy Jesus freak at your work. That just means that it ought to just naturally flow in your life. It ought to be natural in your life. You put your shoes on. I'll tell you what, at my house the other day, my, <clears throat> my wife was walking through our uh, bedroom, and she looked down, and she goes, What's that? And I said, those are my toes. She's like, you don't ever go barefoot. We don't ever see your toes. And they don't. I tell you what, if I could wear tennis shoes to bed and they didn't get all tied up in the covers, I would wear them. I hate being barefoot. I hate it. I tell you this, I've put shoes on first. I take them off last. My wife, she wouldn't ever wear shoes. I mean, she'd just be an old barefoot redneck if she could. So... But I, I want shoes on, and as far as when it comes down, you know, that may not be the answer for everyday life. Working barefoot through the field may be a wonderful thing, but when it comes to spiritual things, we need to have our shoes on all the time. The gospel of peace ought to be on us all the time. And then in addition to this, we take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now we're used to seeing like the little gladiator movies, right? Where they got this sad little round shield, you know, where they sit there and go through there. And boy, if you're going to use that shield of faith to, to block things out, I mean, you got to be like a ninja. I mean, I mean, you got to be like quick. But when you look at the context they're talking about, you know, of extinguishing, all these fiery darts are extinguishing or need to be extinguished. You know, initially, if you read it from the movie mindset, well, then you've got to have all this skill with your faith. I mean, you just got to be awesome with it. You've got this sad little shield, and then you just got to move it. He's coming at you from all these sides. No, that's Roman shield that they're talking about. This sucker's like a door. This isn't some sad little gladiator shield. This sucker's like a door, and you just get behind it. You stand behind your faith. And guess what? Nothing gets you. You don't have to be all awesome and skilled at it. Stay in faith. Stay in faith. It covers you. It extinguishes the fiery darts. Somebody say, well, I've just got to be more awesome with my faith. No, stay there. Don't get out. You get out from behind faith, and guess what? The fiery darts get you in faith. <clears throat> and then the, we take on the helmet of salvation. 
and the sword of the Spirit. We have that helmet of our salvation covering our mind, covering our heads. When Satan comes at us with those things, that that is protected. Our salvation is protected. I love it. Our head and our vitals are protected by what Christ and Christ alone did, not what we did. It's so good. And then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is what we attack with. That is what we go at it with. Hebrews 4, 12. That's for the Word of God is a living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's why we've got to be good with this. That's why I, we, one of the things we do on a daily basis, we encourage you to spend some kind of time in the Word of God. We have the blog. We have it on Facebook. We have it all over the place so you can spend some time in the Word of God as you get a hold of the truth of who you are in Christ. Man, I tell you, it, it's not just this knowledge thing. It becomes a weapon thing. It becomes an offense thing. It is awesome. 1 Timothy 6 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were <clears throat> made good your confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then we close with, and I, I didn't catch this in my notes, but it's supposed to be pray on all occasions, not prayer on all occasions. It's supposed to be pray on all occasions. And then here as he closes things down in Ephesians, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So we're praying on all occasions. We have all kinds of, of prayers and requests. So we need to keep prayer going in general. It needs to be prayer. Our first opens a prayer in the Spirit. That's prayer that the Holy Spirit is welling up inside of you. Back when we were talking about the, um, the gifts of the Spirit then that prayer in the Spirit can, can be this prayer, Spirit-led, guided English prayer, or it can be a prayer that's praying in the Spirit, praying in the language that the Spirit has given you. We refer to that as speaking in tongues, and God does that through the Spirit of God. Then he says, then with, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. You and I need to be praying for each other. There's all kinds of prayer that should be happening here. And one of them is praying for each other, praying for all the saints, keeping each other lifted up and, and shored up. And then also pray for, pray for those that are on their assignment. That's what he said when he says, pray for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Over and over again as he's bringing this thing to an end. It's pray, pray, pray. It ought to be a regular part. Of See Luke 18. Jesus told his disciples a prayer to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and it's entire, that verse in its entirety. You can walk out of here having memorized a verse today. Pray continually. Does that mean you ought to be huddled up on your knees in the corner praying 24-7? No. We have life to do. So that means we keep the conversation open. I tell you what, it's, a lot of y'all are good at texting continually. Some of you need to put it away when you're driving. 
You take some driving breaks with your texting. But I'm telling you, that kind of deal where some of y'all have these ongoing, never saying goodbye conversations through text, it's, it's, that is modeling out, praying continually. That's the way it goes. God drops something in your heart. You pray. God does something. It's this back and forth all the time. We know how to do this. You're like, pray continually. No, no, no. Act like you're texting. You got it. You got it. You know how to do this. So the mystery, it's been revealed. God has brought us new life. This new life in Christ, and with its new perspective, should change us more and more. The inside out. I'm telling you, God has, he is so good. God is so good. And we have to remember and look at everything from his perspective. Not from where we are, our little finite place, but God's eternal place. And that's what he's given us, the word of God, the spirit of God within us, so that we can operate on that level. This morning, as we close it down, I want to appreciate if everybody just kind of close your, head, close your eyes and bow your head.